Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. We're going to continue in our series titled Saints in Society in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is Paul's letter to a church in the city of Corinth, and we're going to be in chapter 5 this week, continuing on there. The first four chapters we look at, uh, we took a look at what it looks uh, like for the saints to be in unity, and so our breakdown there was chapters 1 through 4, the saints' unity. Now in chapters 5 and 6, we're going to be, and so understanding what it looks like for saints to be engaged in culture, what it looks like for saints to meet culture in their terms, but not on their terms. If you would, please turn to chapter 5. We're going to be covering a pretty good chunk today. So we're not going to be tackling this so much verse by verse as much as we are kind of chunk by chunk through this passage. So we're going to be uh, in verse 3 through 13 this morning of chapter 5. If you are not familiar with your Bible, you are new to Christianity, you are investigating Christianity, we, we want to let you know that there's some black Bibles placed around the room. The book of First Corinthians is located in what's called the New Testament, so it's, it, it's in the back uh, part of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those Bibles and write your name in. It's our gift to you, so we'd like for everyone to have a Bible. I also just want to say, if that is the case for you and you're investigating Christianity, you're new to church, I know we've had some people that have just come to church for, the, uh, for their first time ever. I um, talked to someone this week at the gym who was here who hadn't been to church in 10 years, and he jumped in this last week and made a joke and said, what a, what a nice light topic to come back to on incest. So if, if, you, if you are here and that's your case, I'll just be straightforward right now. It's difficult passage, and we're, we're, we're in a difficult section of Scripture. It's, 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 it's difficult. Um, even part of it is a little bit tough for us because we're, we're removed from it, and, and we're even removed from, uh, from it in the way that we view our sin as we looked at last week because we like to see sin as an individual matter between me and God and less uh, that, uh, uh, for what it really is as a corporate matter. And so that's where we're at. Tough passage. Man committing uh, incest with his stepmom, and so we're going to just continue there. <laughs> so, yeah, these aren't popular passages, so if we want to preach for popularity, we skip stuff like this, but we want to be faithful to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. So, as I pray this morning, will you guys pray with me? And, and what I mean by that is pray in agree, uh, just agree, uh, agreeance with me. So, uh, just to share with you guys, I'll uh, try to get through this morning as best I can. I know it's a, an emotional morning for both my wife and I. Uh, we uh, we uh, are giving our uh, foster baby back today, and so uh, we're just going to process that with her, and she's just emotional before. He smiled at her for the first time this morning, so which is beautiful, but, but also really difficult, and so yeah, so j- j- just pray with us, and, and I, I know there's many of you that are in a difficult spot as well, so yeah, just pray with me this morning as, as I pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you that, yeah, I, I thank you that you use just broken people, uh, Father, to continue the message of good news. I praise you that I can stand here um, weak and tired today and know that, uh, that I don't need to stand as a hero for this church, but instead I get to point to you, Jesus, this church's hero. 
Father, I pray for um, our family and, and, and for the people here that are going through a difficult time and a difficult season. Um, I pray for those that are weak, tired, and exhausted. I pray that we, w- we would this morning, as, as, as you invite us and call us, Jesus, to come to you, all who are weary and heavy laden, to come to the promise that in you, you give rest. And so give us rest today. We pray for our children uh, that are back with uh, Natalie today. We pray that, uh, that the work of the gospel would not be something that's heralded just in here, but it's proclaimed and preached with passion to our kids. We pray that, 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 that the saving, transforming work and power of the gospel doesn't just take place in here today, but it takes place with our kids. We pray that you're made the hero back there while our kids have a blast learning about you, Lord. We pray for Natalie. We celebrate her as it's her last uh, Sunday, uh, being the kids director. We also pray for Mark as he transitions into that role to lead this ministry that you would strengthen and, and equip and lead him as he seeks to lead um, our kiddos. And we also just pray for her, and, and we thank you for her and for the sacrifice that she's made to Gospel Community Church. Father, we give this time to you. We pray you would open our hearts, open our ears. We pray you would correct us. We pray where our lives are living inconsistently to the message that we proclaim that your word, that your spirit would convict us, that we would live and walk in the freedom of Christ, understanding the sacrifice that you've made to give us that freedom, Jesus. Let our lives match up consistently with the message that we preach and proclaim. In Jesus' name, amen. Chewing up my mint so I don't spit them out on someone. So you guys know. Give me a minute. Let's not start the recording of this sermon quite yet. we're going to look at this this morning the saints perseverance the saints perseverance so that's going to be our main point the saints perseverance and what we're going to look at is that the saints persevere through discipline what we would call tough love is actually a really good form of love so the saints persevere through discipline the saints persevere through faith and repentance and the saints persevere in society so we're going to look at all of that today, and I will say there is no way in the amount of time that I'm preaching in right now that I will be able to do justice to the passage that I'm preaching. There's too much there and too much going on. So my encouragement to you, shameless plug, get plugged into a gospel community, ask your questions there, try to stump your leaders there, bring it all to them and to your groups, and, and, and take that time to go over them there because we will not be able to, um, yeah, uh, give as much time to this as this passage rightfully deserves and so there's a lot going on when i was 10 years old i was uh bitten by a venomous snake so the story is that that's a that's a true story and so the the story goes like this it it was late at night somewhere probably about nine o'clock and uh i grew up in texas and so uh we were out uh doing our uh (laughs) trip to the dump and what that meant for our family was you would take your trash and you would go throw it out in the woods and so yes grew up in a super green family uh my mom anytime i tell this story wants me to like put it out there for her sake that she wasn't in a she did not agree with this and did not know that it was going on so since mom does listen to these i just want to let it be known that mom doesn't approve of what the family did specifically dad so but, yeah, it really doesn't get any trashier, full pun intended, than the way our family dealt with trash, literally. And so we, we would do that. We, we, would, we would 
<laughs> throw trash in the back of the truck and we'd drive into the woods and then we would jump out. And so one night we were out there and my sister uh, was, was dumping trash and she couldn't do it all by herself. My, my dad's a driver. And so uh, he was like, get out and help your sister. And so I did. And when I got out to help my sister, I got bit by a snake. And so my dad lived by three words, suck it up. That was a, I heard those words more than any other word in my entire life. And so though I was bit, uh, my dad took me home. And so uh, with, with the three kind words to suck it up. So uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have been a good counselor. And so I go home and uh, I show my mom, I'm like, I got bit by a snake. And like my foot is like kind of like oozing stuff and already turning colors. And she's like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> and like, why did your dad bring you here? Like get to the hospital. And so by the time we got to the hospital, the hospital was like, wow, it's a good thing you got him here when, whenever you did. And obviously we are prepped beforehand because we were not dumping trash in the woods. And so we, so, and, and this is another way of seeing that our sin doesn't just affect us, it actually impacts other people. What my dad was doing impacted me. And then now this story just builds into a snowball of lies that we're telling the people at the hospital and stuff like that. But when we're at the hospital, the point of the story is this, is they said, we're, it's a good thing you got here when you did because uh, the venom is spreading, and, it's, and in a sense, it's spreading at a pretty rapid pace. And, and so they, they were able to get me the treatment and the medicine that I could get, but at that point, once the venom is spread into your bloodstream like that, you can't just get it out. And so you need medical treatment. You need something to help remove it, to help counter it. And, and after that, for a week, all the way up to my kneecap, my actual knee was like, like almost like just black. It was so purple. And so... Thankfully, there was treatment and there was medicine, but the reason I share that is this, is the way that venom spreads through in the bloodstream like that is the same way that Paul is addressing that actual sin, and in this passage, leaven in the church spreads, and it spreads quickly throughout our bodies, and, and so when we live in sin, and when we choose to commit sin and commit our lives to sin, even things that we know uh, that, that, that we are self-justifying right now while I'm talking and starting to preach, there are things that we have self-justified walking in here this morning. Those things, whether you want to realize it or not, are not between just you and God. They will spread through your body, but they will also spread through the body and, and the corporate body. And that's what leaven does, and that's what Paul's addressing here. And so it's not just this small individual matter. It will have an impact on your kids, and it will have an impact on the body of Christ. That's just plain and simple. That's the way that it works. You can argue with me, but ultimately argue with the text as we work through it this morning. 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 3. We just saw in the previous week that uh, Paul told them, uh, hey, it's reported there's this guy, he's sleeping with his, uh, with his stepmom, get rid of him. Get, get, get him out of the church. And so that's where we pick up this morning with verse 3. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our lives, or uh, w w with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Whoa. There's a lot there. And I get it again. If you're new to Christianity or anything like that, what is going on? Get rid of someone, send them out, turn them over to Satan, destruction. There's a lot here. So here's what's going on. The word saint, which we're going through, saints in society in 1 Corinthians, means set apart and holy. And so what Paul is saying is this is who you are in Christ. You are set apart and you're holy. And now what he's saying, now here's what it looks like to practice and live out of this. Again, it's not 
something that we do to arrive. It's something naturally that we live out of. And so there's this man who's living inconsistent to the message that he is preaching and proclaiming. And so Paul is saying in this passage, he's saying, no, hey, though I'm not there with you, I'm giving you full authority from me, the Apostle Paul, to go ahead and make this judgment and remove this guy. And I'm saying this so much as if I was there with you right now, I would be doing this. But I'm telling you that you have the power through my apostolic authority and ultimately through Jesus Christ as you assemble together. This is a church-wide thing. You need to remove this guy. you got to get him out of there. And when we hear something like that, we could go, man, that sounds so harsh and so unloving and so extreme. And then when we hear something like verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, we go, my goodness. That seems so harsh or so extreme. Why? Well, it would be kind of like this. In Gospel Community Church, there's there's a guy who is prostituting women and sleeping with prostitutes. And whether he's bragging about that verbally or not, the entire church community knows about it and is doing nothing about it. How does that impact our church? It would have a big impact. And so as we talked about last week, his sin was a, was a big, egregious sin. Even for pagans, it was such a big deal, Paul said. And so here's the reality, is he's boasting in his freedom in Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's boasting in his freedom in Christ. Whether he's actually doing it orally or not, he's still boasting by, by making a public statement of, look what I'm doing, and this whole church is cool with it. I'm living my life, I'm doing what I want. And what this is, 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 is it stems from two things. We would say from licentiousness, one, which means this, that Jesus is enough to satisfy me, and so I need something else. That's one. So first is that it's stemming from him being licentious. Jesus can't be enough, so what he's doing is rejecting Jesus, saying, you can't satisfy me, I need something else. His stepmother. The other thing that it stems from is homeboy theology of Jesus. This is something that is like spread and people have Jesus is my homeboy shirt, which you're going to know now if you wear one in front of me. I just don't like them at all. So here's why. Jesus is my homeboy and, and, and that way of thinking actually stems from this. Is that what, what I've made Jesus to be is just my homeboy who will agree with the way that I want to live my life and all the decisions that I make. And so what it's done is it's, elev it's elevated Jesus as friend, which he is, and it's lowered his transcendence as God. Instead of keeping both of them high, that, that, that he is trans uh, transcendent, meaning above all things. He is supreme. He's the creator. He's infinite. He's almighty and powerful. He is all that. And he is friend. What you do is suppress this and raise up. He's just my homeboy who's basically my cheerleader, and he's good with anything that I want to do in my life. And so in a sense, that's what this kind of freedom that this guy is proclaiming is that I got this kind of freedom in Jesus clearly because no one's saying anything to me about it and I'm going about living my life and so what actually Paul is saying to do is, 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 is he's saying this hey it's time to discipline this guy it's time to discipline him this is the go-to passage for church discipline it's time to discipline this guy and here's the reason why and here's why church discipline is done 
because you turn this man over to the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What does that mean? It means this. That what you do is someone who's living like that is you turn them over to flesh means sin. You turn them over to all the decisions and all the desires and all the lusts and everything they want and you say, here, go run after this since it's clear this is what you want. But what you're actually really wanting is you're wanting one foot over here and you're wanting one foot in the door because what you want is you want Jesus to be my Savior, not my Lord, and then I want the personal connection of the body of Christ to show that I'm cool with them and they're cool with me. And so I want the blessing of community. I want the blessing of Jesus. I just don't want him to have any sort of lordship over my life. And so what Paul is saying to do, just turn him over to his sin. And here's the reason why. If this man perseveres through this discipline, which is going to be really difficult and painful, it should be. And he walks to, and he comes to repentance, true repentance, and he'll actually know that he's a child of God. And what will happen is that he will run after this sin and see that all sin is an empty well that will dry up. It will not satisfy. It will not quench his thirst. And by turning him over, you can give him the opportunity to see all that he's missing through the blessing of community. God's covenant community. Through the relationships, the protection, the provision throughout all of uh, Israel's history, the temple of God signified God's dwelling and His presence with Israel. To be in Israel was to be inside of God's dwelling place where He dwelt among His covenant people. You were under His protection. He gave His provisions. To be a part of that community was to be close with God and with God's people. It was a tremendous blessing. Even so much so that when the nation of Israel went in to the promised land and started the conquest of Canaan, that people even lied and, and, and surrendered themselves to be woodcutters and surrendered themselves to take the lowliest of servant jobs that no one ever wanted just so they could be inside and with the people of God. They literally subject themselves to a form of slavery because they said it's better to be with God's people than it is to be out from God's people. They understood that. And so what Paul's saying is ultimately, I don't, if this man wants to sin more, turn him over to it and let him see that this is just destructive. And through seeing that, what he'll actually see is how much greater that Jesus Christ and the body of Christ actually is. And then what will actually happen is he will be saved. His life will be spared. Why? Because through his perseverance, through him turning from his sin and turning to Jesus, you'll actually know that he is a legitimate child of God. He's a legitimate Christian. He is someone who legitimately loves Jesus and doesn't just love to talk about Jesus or come to church or do Christian things. He actually loves Jesus and wants him to reign and rule as we sing about in his life. Someone who perseveres through discipline, we'd say it's clear that that person is a child of God. They receive discipline. I've seen church discipline go good and I've seen it go really bad. And here's how you know when it typically goes bad is when people are disciplined. Discipline is painful. It's hard. And then they go, church is mean, they're rude. They can't see. They're judgmental. They're throwing stones. They're doing all this. They can't see anything that I'm doing or they can't see anything that they're doing and, 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 and they just are instantly blaming and pointing fingers. And then I've seen other people go, my goodness, this is lonely. Christ is better. God's people are better. And turn from that. 
you know that the word discipline brings up so much ne negative connotation for us because for those of us that were raised in a home where discipline was abused, it's really hard to hear discipline as something that is loving. But you have to understand that God, God's discipline is done in His goodness and in His love. God doesn't do good things. God doesn't do loving things. God is good and God is loving and He only lives and responds out of a good and loving nature always, including in His discipline. His discipline, as we know from the Word, as Mark read earlier from the Old Testament, we can also see that His discipline is for this. Hebrews 12, 7-11. It's not up there, but just listen with me. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you, listen, as sons or as children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are, uh, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if you are left without discipline, you're not a legitimate child. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for our short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. I thought someone was taking the stage. <laughs> it's going in defensive mode right there. <laughs> I'm cool. Uh, verse 11. <laughs> Well, we haven't, we haven't done this one yet. All right, this will be, be new. Verse 11. For the moment, this is it. This is the key verse right here in this passage. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Listen to that. All discipline seems painful, meaning it's not joyous. It's painful. And he says it's painful rather than pleasant. But listen to this. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So for this man, turn him over. Let him live to this. Let it discipline him because that's the most loving thing you could do. The most loving thing I could do to my little girls is never let them look down the barrel of a gun or think that it's okay to play in a street. Why? Because that will lead to their death, to their destruction. The most loving thing I could do as a father is to train them and teach them. And that's what God does. And here's the reality. One way that we can start to test and know if we are people who are persevering through discipline or persevering through the gospel is this, is how do you respond to your own sin? Just, just leave that there for a minute. How, how do you respond to your own sin? Matthew 5.3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what that verse means? Blessed are those who are utterly and literally bankrupt spiritually bankrupt blessed are the spiritually bankrupt for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are the people who say i have nothing to bring i have nothing to give and then it goes on to say the next verse blessed are those who mourn blessed are those who grieve happy are those who mourn and grieve, for they shall be comforted one way is if you mourn and grieve over your sin that is a good sign that is a good thing What's not a good sign and what oftentimes scares me is, is when there is no confession that ever takes place inside of a home as though that family has no need for Jesus. 
What is a good sign is to let our kids and people see that we actually grieve over our sin. Did you know that this Psalm 6, Ronnie preached this a while back, is a penitential song. It's a psalm of penance. That in that, David is crying so much that he's filling his couch and his bed and his pillows. He's flooding them with tears. It looks really cute until you realize it's because he's grieved by his sin against God. He's mourning. He's crushed. And I think if we just approach our sin lightly and go, eh, that's not what Paul's doing. And I don't think that's what we should do at all. I think that what the text says clearly throughout is it's a good thing to persevere through discipline. Let's look at this next section. 6-8. through eight. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are in leaven. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. There is no way, like I said, that I can do justice to this passage. And so, let, let me say this. Paul says, church discipline if he perseveres, you will know that he's a legitimate child of God. Now the next thing is, he goes on to say again, your boasting is not good. But he explains this is why we do this. We're getting to the why. Why do you do church discipline? Why do you respond like this? Why do you mourn over your sin? Why do you grieve over your sin? Why? Because it is completely inconsistent with who you have been made in Christ. It's that simple. Look at the text with me. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven. That's an impossible task. Paul is telling him to do something impossible. Once leaven starts to spread inside of bread, it's like snake venom. You have to just get it out. <laughs> you have to just get rid of the lump. That's why the Israelites, once a year when they celebrate the, the festival of, of Passover, what they actually do is they spend... Uh, oftentimes weeks even cl uh, cleaning out the leaven from inside of their homes underneath the refrigerators, underneath the cabinets, underneath the couch cushions, wherever there might be crumbs, they're getting the leaven out of their home because leaven is symbolic for sin and for slavery. So they're cleansing it out once a year to say this is a removal from who we are. Because the nation of Israel was delivered in the Old Testament in the Exodus, we see this, uh, this story called the Passover. And what happened is... is uh, you had to sacrifice a Passover lamb. I'm briefly going to walk through this. Uh, and, and, and if you did that and you spread its blood on the doorpost and above, then, then, then the angel of wrath would pass over you. And your, and, and your firstborn would be spared. And then that night, uh, they, they made unleavened bread as they were instructed because they didn't have time for the, for, for, for the bread to rise, so leaven and yeast to rise before they escaped Sla uh, slavery and bondage by the hand of God. God took them out. Israel didn't lead themselves out. God led them out. And so the reason why Paul is, is calling them to be unleavened is because as Christians made new in Christ, who we are is actually sinless, cleansed. The bondage and slavery that, 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 that we once lived in by, by being slaves of sin is no longer consistent to who we are. It's just not. And so, if you are a baseball player, you don't wear shoulder pads like a football player wears. That's inconsistent. If you're a plumber, you don't work on electric breakers. If you're a police officer, you don't typically fight fires. And barbers don't perform surgery. Dan Roof goes to this church. I know he's in police academy now. 
And it would be really weird if every day for Police Academy he showed up and just started, he used to work at Les Schwab for I think like 10 or 15 years, if he just started going up and instead of doing police work, just started changing people's tires. We would be like, Dan, what are you doing? You're a police officer. It's just not consistent to who you are and what you're being paid to do. And in the same way, Paul is saying, look, this is who you are. This is the most simple thing ever. This is who you are. This is who Christ has made you. He's cleansed you. He's made you new. He's, he, he's, he's, he's cleansed you and removed sin from you. How has He done this? It says right here. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. That's how. How are we made new? How are we made without sin? How do we get a new lump? Uh, 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 start with a brand new lump of dough. Do you know that that this is so unpopular, but in Jeremiah, he actually talks about that, that, that the heart, that our hearts are actually sick. They're actually sick and wicked. So they're ill. So we like to think of our hearts and we like to think of ourselves as just being pretty good people. But the way that God describes it, the old and new, is that our hearts are wicked and, 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 and they're ill. It, the, the prophet Ezekiel says this. He, he says, you with your heart, it's made of stone. You can't submit yourself to the will of God. What you need is you need a new heart, a heart made of flesh. What you need to be is you need to be born again. You need to have a new heart. You need a new lump. But you can't do this. You can't make yourself born again. You can't cleanse out the yeast. You can't cleanse yourself of sin. It's too big of an issue for something for you to do through your work, through your efforts. What do you need? You need the sacrifice of Christ, the Passover lamb. Plain and simple. And here's the reality. Before we get to this, you will either leave here today and you will wake up tomorrow morning with, with one of two options. You will live your life with the insecurity of your own sacrifices that you put before the altar of God, or you will live radically secure with the sacrifice that Christ, the Passover lamb, placed on the altar with his perfect life before God in our place. In the Old Testament, I've said this before, it, the, 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 the author doesn't show what's going on inside of the homes. I'm sure there were nagging wives on, did you do it right? I'm sure there were husbands that were complacent. I'm sure there was a lot of sin that was going on inside of the homes in the nation of Israel. The only thing that mattered in that moment and on that night was whether you had the blood of a spotless and perfect lamb on the doorpost and over the head, period. The angel doesn't show that he was evaluating the home lives and what was going on. The only thing he was looking at was seeing the sacrifice of the spotless, perfect blood. And that was the one way that he would pass over the home. The same goes for Christians. The number one ultimate thing that God looks at is not our sacrifice that we bring, not the things that we lay down, but the fact, this is an important part of the Gospel. The Gospel is the cross, but it's also Jesus' perfect life that we cannot live. And it's Him laying that perfect life down on the altar for us, saying, here's a perfect life of sacrifice given to you, Father. And so now the true and better ultimate Passover lamb, what does He do? It's like a doorpost. He stretches out His hands where He bleeds from His hands and He bleeds from His head from the thorn of crowns because He's laying down His life as the ultimate Passover lamb, as the ultimate sacrifice. So that God's love is either going to be, this is the reality, 
contingent upon your works and sacrifice or contingent upon Christ in your place. Period. And so when Paul says this, to cleanse it out, for you really are unleavened, what he's saying is Christ made you utterly and completely sinless and holy and righteous through His sacrifice. Just live out of that. Live into that. That is who you are. Do you know of, of, a verse that blows me away? I love it. We could spend the entire time talking about this. Is Luke chapter 22, verse 15. It's Jesus the night of Passover. Or, uh, I'm sorry, it's Jesus celebrating the Passover with His disciples. Before Passover. And He's celebrating with His brothers. And they would have been smart educated men in, in, in the sense of, of Jewish men to know what you needed for a Passover feast. What do you need? You need the cups of wine that would have been present. You need the unleavened bread that would have been present. But for Jesus' meal, in all of the Gospels, there is one key component missing. The Passover meal is not vegan. The lamb is the main course. The lamb, yeah, Josh Agashi. It's not vegan, okay? <laughs> to my vegan brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. The main course. Listen to this as I read it. Jesus said to them, I love this, I have earnestly desired to eat. This, this is like heart-wrenching to me. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's Semitic doubling is what it's called. Actually, the word earnestly means the same thing as desired, desired. So what it says is I have desired, desired. This Semitic doubling shows emotion. It shows the passion of what's going on. Jesus is like, I have, I have, I have longed for this moment. I have, I have, I have with, with, with passion, with delight, with desire. The same word that's used here for earnestly is actually the word that's commonly used for lust in the New Testament. It's crazy. Because what, what man has done with our desires is lusted after things other than God. And Jesus says, what I have done with, 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 with the deepest emotions and desires that I have is loved you so much that I want to lay down my life for you as the Passover sacrificial lamb. That I'm here, driven to this moment, willing to move forward because of my deep, earnest desire and love for you. I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you before I suffer. Jesus knew what he was walking into. And his desire was driven by an intense love for God and for us. And so now, what, what, what Paul is saying, this is who you are because of what Christ has done. Christ was treated as a child of wrath because of our sin so that we could be treated as children of God. Though the, the text says in Ephesians, we are children of wrath, Christ has made us children of God. Do you know how the saints persevere? We persevere every single day by the same message that we preach every week that we will keep preaching by God's grace as long as this church exists is that we live and stand on this. That the saints persevere by one message alone and that is Jesus Christ as our sacrifice and Passover lamb. P. 
period. Commonly, people say, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. I want to make it super, super simple for you. By reading you literally what the Word of God says that His will is for your life. The will that God has for your life is faith and repentance. So in other words, it's, it's faith in what Christ has done for you, but it's also living into that, into a life of sanctification. So it's living consistently out of that. John 6.40 Listen, these, these are Jesus' words. For this is the will of My Father. If you want to know what God's will is for you, this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. What is God's will for you? That you believe in Jesus Christ, your Passover Lamb. Then, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God. So we, we have this. The first is this faith in Jesus. Now it is this. This life of repentance, this life of sanctification, this life of holiness consistent to who we've been made in Jesus. For this is the will of God. Look at this. Your sanctification. For this is the will of my Father. Believe. This is the will of God. Sanctification. So what is going on? That you believe in Jesus and you live out of who He's made you. He goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion or lust. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. All the language that Paul is using here is temple language. He's saying since, since in the Old Testament God's dwelling place was the temple, he's now saying God's dwelling place is you through His Spirit, but also the body of Christ. And this is what it looks like for the body of Christ to live consistently with who Christ has made us. Here's the thing. We love God and live our lives in, 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 in a pursuit of loving God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did and even that conversation that he had with his disciples on that night saying, I earnestly desire to do this. No one's, no one's making me do this. No one's holding a gun to my head. No one's forced me into this. I'm doing this because I'm driven by such a fierce and deep love for you. And then so we don't gain it. Now we live out of it. And I'm quickly going to sum this up by going through 11 through 13. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So the saints persevere through discipline. You will know the saints will persevere because right now and for the rest of your life, the way you can know that you are a child of God is through persevering in faith in Jesus Christ and living out of that faith. That's it. That's how we persevere throughout this life. And then lastly, saints persevere through living in society. There's a lot of... of, of different ways that this can be preached as far as what commentators believe because it's actually talking about a meal. In a minute, we're going to take a meal. Did you know that every week what the saints do to celebrate the Passover meal and to celebrate what Christ has done is we take this meal together. It is actually a bloody meal and that's what it's intended to be. It's not intended to be grape juice. That is symbolic for blood. It's intended to be a bloody broken meal because of the, the grossness of our sin and what Christ endured for. But the way that we celebrate that and the ultimate meal that the saints share in common is the meal of the re remembrance of Christ. 
And so some believe that, that the discipline that's happening here is for the people to be sent out and not take this meal that we take together every week. Some believe that, that, that it's actually about social meals outside of the church body as well. Whether it's this or that or both, I am not sure. But I do know this. That there is a clear way that, that saints are called to live in society. And here's how we are supposed to live. So this is who Christ made us. So you're saying that we don't sin? Nope. I'm saying that saints live with a struggle. Here's what I mean. In these passage, or in this passage nine through thirteen, he's saying don't don't affiliate with people, don't don't do this. Again, it's not consistent to to who you are. And so instead of me hanging out with brothers and sisters in Christ who are just wanting to live this way, he's saying don't even associate with them because when you go into society, it is going to be confusing to society. The saints persevere in society by modeling and showing that Christ is actually better than sin. If we actually don't believe that, then we will keep doing and trading Christ for sin. And then it'll be confusing because we're going into society with the message saying that Jesus is awesome and He's everything, but in all reality, we actually think sin tastes way better. And so to persevere in society means to cut off certain people that are inside of the body professing something that they're not actually believing because they're actually saying Jesus isn't better. But in no way is Paul saying to cut off non-Christians. That would be utterly ridiculous. It's not what he's saying. He goes on to say that. He has no judgment of outsiders. They'll be judged by God. So what Christians need to do is we actually need to get deeply involved, like Jesus, in, in people's lives that don't go to church. We need to love and embrace people outside of the body of Christ. We need to spend time with people that look different than us. We need to spend time loving people. We need to spend time showing people actually on mission in society that Christ is better than anything else that they have access to every single day. In our workplace, where you live, where you shop, where you go, we have to live in society with this consistent message and model that Jesus is actually better. That's how we'll persevere in, in, in society. That's how the church collectively will persevere in society by actually showing and modeling and de demonstrating that Jesus is better. And I do want to say this, that I want to blow up Tupac's theology here because it's inconsistent. Look at verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Paul's asking a rhetorical question. Tupac says only God can judge me. According to Paul, it is actually the church's job to make judgment. We, we make a judgment to say that your life is inconsistent with the gospel, but here's why we do that. We don't do it to blast you and say, you suck. Your life is inconsistent with the gospel. Why do we do it? We do it because what we do is say, do you know that Christ has given you access, full access to the Father? Do you know that Christ has cleansed you of all unsin and all unrighteousness? Do you know that Christ is your Passover lamb? Do you know that God has given you his infinite eternal love? Do you know that you have God's full acceptance and approval? Do you know that you are clean and pure and holy in the sight of God? Do you know that you have something so much greater than what you are believing in this lie? We come along to say, I can't stand here and watch you as my brother and sister in Christ to believe and live inconsistently to someone who you are not. You are living this life, but who Christ has made you is something so much better. Please live into that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a Passover lamb. Thank you for the sacrifice that you've made 
I pray that we would persevere through our lives. When you discipline us, to see that as a good thing, Father. I pray that we would persevere in our lives through faith, not in our efforts, not in our works, not in our sacrifice. I pray that what we would have faith in is what Jesus laid down on the altar before you, his life, his perfect life. And I pray that we would persevere in society as saints together, modeling that Jesus is truly better. Amen.